0: You're listening to the Embrace Family Recovery Podcast, a place for real conversations with people who love someone with the disease of addiction. Now here is your host, Margaret Swift Thompson.
1: Welcome back to the final episode of the podcast, With Karen Casey, best selling author of 30 books for people in recovery. In today's episode, we will discuss the family dynamics she experienced in her family and how she believed she was born to be in this family, that it was perfect for her, despite the experiences she had. Let's get back to Karen.
0: The Embrace Family Recovery Podcast.
1: One of the other things that stood out to me, because I have a soft spot for many aspects of the family, but for sure children, is that you have written that I could see one, two, three, four kids' books. Teenagers, young women, and then there's one with your grandchild?
2: Right. For boys? For boys. And that was written when he was like, oh my gosh, he was like eight years old. He's... 32 now. And so a boy's book of daily thoughts that he wrote, and it was, I can remember so well, he wrote longhand, and we'd sit at the kitchen table. And I would kind of coach him by saying, what do you think would be a good topic? What do you feel as a little boy? And he would say, ah, and he would come up with an idea. And I would say, just write about it. And it was amazing to discover that he had so many thoughts. But the books that I had done for young girls were really the kind of my realization of that's where it all started for me. Sure. As a young girl. Sure. As just not not knowing, not understanding anything, not feeling okay about anything. So I wanted young girls to realize that however they felt was okay. And the main thing they needed to do was to reveal it, to talk about it. You know, be who you need to be. Girl to girl, talk to each other. Yeah. And you know, that's really the healing. It is. Path for all of us. No matter what our age, the healing path is finally to talk about it shine a light on it, expose it. it. I think it's like the,
1: the boogeyman concept, which under the bed or whatever, what we do is shine the light to reassure the children's nothing's there. But I think what's in my head is so powerful on my functionality on a day-to-day basis. And if I don't let someone in to clarify what's complete, cockamamie insanity versus what's actually healthy for me to be thinking about. And what do I turn over to my higher power? What do I get help with? Cause I can't manage it. If we keep it in here, which is so classic with this family disease of addiction, everything's kept in and held down and tried to be managed. That's when we get into, I think so much distress. And if we can start letting people see this and not be so ashamed of it and start letting people in to hear our inner voices and our stories, we can absolutely breathe more deeply and take a moment and not be so reactive and crisis oriented.
2: Right. My family was reactive. I became reactive. It made sense that I took that first drink at age 13 because it quelled somewhat my need to react to everything in the family because with that drink I thought oh my gosh
1: Mm.
2: how different I can feel Mm. because I felt like I needed to fight the battle on behalf of my mother and my younger brother my dad finally got the boy that he wanted and then of course my brother Jim couldn't measure up Mm. I mean not surprising My dad was such a perfectionist. Mm -hmm. And Jim, he struggled in school. He struggled to catch a ball when my dad would throw it at him. Mm -hmm. He just, he ended up at age 20 having a nervous breakdown.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: And now he's 81. Finally, after my dad died, probably five or six years after our dad died, he called me up. He was living in Phoenix, and he said, well, I just want you to know that I've finally forgiven daddy. And he just had such a tough life. Mm-hmm. He ended up, and again, my dad wasn't alcoholic, but he might as well have been. It would almost have been easier. Alcoholic tendencies and behaviors. Yes. And if he had been an active alcoholic, we could have at least pointed to that and said, that's why he's behaving this way. Right. There were so many alcoholics in his family. So I think he wasn't an active alcoholic because, my God, I'm not going to do that like Uncle George, (laughs) like Uncle Nick, you know, like all of those other people. But when Jim, Jimmy Kirk, we always called him for years and years, even when he was a grown man, he flunked out of college. Not surprisingly, he didn't want to even go. He went to business school, became a bookkeeper. My dad helped him get a job. Unfortunately, my dad drove by the place where Jim worked every morning on his way to the bank, and if Jim's car wasn't already in the parking lot, he would get to work and call Jim at home, mm. say, "Why aren't you already at work?" Now Jim was twenty or twenty-one at that point, and he was incapable any longer of going to work. And his boss, who my dad had known, came to Jim's home. And I think this says so much to families in general. The boss came to Jim at home and said, you know, Jim, I'm going to have to let you go. But I have written a letter of recommendation for you. And I've made an appointment for you to see somebody I know in Indianapolis, we lived in Lafayette, that wants to interview you for a job. Hmm. He said, you need to get out of this town or your dad will destroy you. Wow. I mean, that's what families do to each other when they are so unhealed. And my dad didn't intend to be a bad person. No. He was afraid. Well, and I think that's a very important point
1: to distinguish for everybody. I tell parents this a lot because they come to me with this guilt and this feeling of failure and what did I do wrong and all mixed up with other emotions. And I always say your malintent is not there. You have no intent to hurt the people you birthed and love. You're doing the best you can without the actual information to understand what you're dealing with. From your own perspective or from their perspective. So let's peel it back and give you some tools and some education and some strategies to move forward with that help you not feel guilty, but also not be so involved in what they're doing, which is scary as hell for them to do. Right. Your dad didn't intend to harm you. No, he didn't intend to harm anybody. If he was a perfectionist to that point and he tried so hard, Every day, and worried so much about things that were out of his control. That level, there's no way he intended to harm anyone that he loved,
2: right? It saddens me to think that he lived with that fear his whole life until the day he died. And when we had that conversation, and I, I mean, I just was stunned because what had happened when he was six years old, he was mowing the lawn in Frankfort, Indiana, where he grew up. And his younger little brother got his fingers caught in the lawnmower and he cut off the tips of two fingers of his younger brother. And he was absolutely brutalized by his parents for what he had done.
1: Well, and already devastated for what
2: he did anyway. And from that moment on, it was like, I'll never make a
0: mistake again. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you.
1: I am so excited to announce that I will be giving a retreat in Nashville, Tennessee, March 1st to 3rd of 2024. This is so exciting because I love retreats where we get to be together in person and continue our journeys of recovery. The retreat is entitled, Building Your Bridge from the Wreckage of Addiction to Family Healing. Dee Dee Armstrong and I will be presenting a weekend of interaction, education, community building, and support for people touched by the disease of addiction. Please find information on the show notes attached to this episode where you can register or learn more about this retreat. You can also find it on my website, Embrace Family Recovery, under Work With Margaret and Retreats. I really hope you'll join us for this healing and sharing experience in the great Nashville, Tennessee.
0: You're listening to the Embrace Family Recovery podcast. Can you relate to what you're hearing? Never miss a show by hitting the subscribe button. Now back to the show.
1: You know what's fascinating, Karen, is Well, there's a lot. I mean, we could probably talk for hours. But the thing that's fascinating to me is your story speaks to grace for yourself, for the people that came before you, for your curiosity to learn more about their stories, thanks to Terry Williams, to give you that direction, that have freed you, but also given them so much and understood more. You know, your father's anger could very well be just written off as being an angry, miserable human being, whereas you have the capacity through talking to him and learning and understanding that it was driven by fear, which you can have compassion for.
2: Right. Right. It's like that conversation with each of them changed significantly how I looked at each of them for the rest of my life. And I was, like I say, about 38 at that time. My dad lived into his late 80s, and so did my mother. So it gave me many years of being able to love them in the way they deserved to be loved. It's wonderful. I feel so grateful that I ended up finding a 12-step way of living, that my entire journey was, I think, so intentional. And when you mention the books, I know full well that as a kid I didn't ever think that I was going to be somebody who wrote books that maybe were helpful to others. I never was able to have children. Mm. So I've always felt like, well, that fits too. Mm. You know, I was supposed to give birth to books.
1: Wow. And your books help so many children of others. Like what a gift. Yeah. What a gift for people to possibly read something that you write that helps them look at their self and the people that loved them in a different way. I think it's also very important to pinpoint the fact that you actively participate in recovery to this day. Yeah. Because one would look at your readings and think, hmm, this is some good stuff. This person's got it going on. They've got it figured out, or they know a lot more than you know that I do. And what I so appreciate is the authenticity and integrity that that speaks to who you are, that you're a work in progress and you're always willing to stay in the work, yeah. which gives probably so much more to what you write for everybody else.
2: Yeah, I absolutely cannot imagine ever walking away from Al Anon and AA. It is all about passing it on to others, but it's also about continuing to keep my own. Journey fresh and keep that willingness alive right. to continue learning. It's important.
1: You know, like they say, it's not a destination, there's no end in sight. We stay the course. Right. I think that's important. I really do, Karen. And I thank you for sharing that because I think that we unwittingly put people in categories or see them in certain lights. And I see you as a person who puts service before a lot of other things. And that you see your writing as channeled
2: from your higher power out? Right. Yeah. Yeah, I feel absolutely that there's nothing about my life that's been accidental. Mm. And that everything I've done in my life, I've been called to do. And I know that there's more to come. There's way more to come. Love that. I got to tell you that one funny thing, oh, Margaret. I did a book signing at Barnes & Noble in a dying at the Galleria a couple of weeks ago. And it was well attended. There were 75 or 80 people who came. Lovely. And it was really in, in celebration of the 40th anniversary edition of this book. And so after I talked, you know, for who knows how long, as you know, from just our experience here, I don't have trouble talking. No,
1: which I appreciate. <laughs>
2: But at any rate, I then said to the audience, I said, well, is there anybody that has any questions? And one woman who I had met when she came in, because I just kind of walked around and talked to people as they came in. And her name was Amy and she raised her hand and I said, well, Amy, what do you want to know? And she said, well, I'm curious, does your husband read any of your books? (laughs) And I've never been asked that question before. And he, I hope he doesn't mind my sharing this, but he's on the same path that I've been on and has been for 45 years. So anyway, I said, no, he's never read a book I've written. And She said, oh, really? How does that feel? And I said, well, you know, I feel like I said, his journey is just different from mine. He's committed to the journey in the same way. He's active in the program but I said, his journey has just gone a little different route. And I said, he's done other things with his life. And I said, actually, if I write an article for a magazine or something, he might read it. I'll say, would you like to read this? And he'll read it. And I'll say, yeah, hey, that's great. But you need a comma here. (laughs) And I said, you know, he's supportive of what I do, but no, he does not read my books. And And she just kind of looked at me stunned, I think. And the the crowd laughed like, well, we don't all make exactly the same journey in life, but we all make the journey with the people we need to be making the journey with. Right. And that's what just I hold so dear to my heart. Do you have a favorite book? That I've written? Mm -hmm. Well, actually, you know, that's a really hard question to answer because Anytime I pick up any one of them, I look at it and I think, where did this come from? Sure. And how helpful this is to me. Because detachment is so crucial to my journey through life, not only as an active Alanon member, but just as a human being. Mm-hmm. I find great pleasure in reading this Let Go Now. One of the books that I read now every morning, and I don't know if people find this strange that I would read my own books in the morning. but like I say, it feels like I was just this, I shared, but they came from that companion I have on this journey. But every morning I read Mm. from each day a renewed beginning Mm. because I find the messages in here so calming. And like today, the quote was, for February 1, to show great love for God and our neighbor, we need not do great things by Mother Teresa. And I go on to say, I love the simplicity of this idea. Simply being kind and helpful to the next person we encounter is showing great love for God. I also remember hearing many years ago that Mother Teresa said, love everyone and start with the person standing next to you. Our ability to do both of these things is unquestioned. But do we have the willingness? And then it goes on. But, you know, I I need simple in my life. And I wrote this book during the quarantine when Joe and I were in Florida, unable for 32 years. We'd spend six months of the year there and the other six up here in Minnesota. And so for that period of time, for like 18 months, really, we were in Florida. And that's when I wrote this book. And it gave me to sit down and just let these messages come through quieted me. And so I continue to need that quiet, Margaret. I really do. And I think it's partly age. I'm not who I used to be in many ways because of being 83 and I have a lung condition that has changed my energy level. Mm-hmm. So I need simple. And so what I look for in any of my books now is what's the simple message yeah. contained here.
1: I really appreciate it. in what you read that it starts with the person next to you. Cause when I think about it, who are we the most short with the most reactive to the most difficult to be around Our loved ones, the people we adore and choose to be with, seem to get the brunt of it when we can perform, quote unquote, elsewhere, but at home. So I love that it's the reverse. Like, let's start right here in this unit. Right here,
2: right now. Yeah.
1: Well, I am truly thrilled we got to have this time together. It means a lot to me. And thank you for being a part of this with the audience. Is there anything you haven't said you would want to say to family listeners? I mean, I think you said some beautiful things.
2: Well, I guess the main thing that comes to my mind, Margaret, is believe that the family you are a part of is the perfect family for you, for you to grow and learn from one another. Mm -hmm. I don't think there are any accidental encounters, no matter if they're out in the world or in our home. Mm -hmm. We are where we need to be. And it's with those people that we are with that we need to learn how to love and accept them and ourselves and to free each other, to really be all we need to be. Because love doesn't thrive when we're held in bondage.
1: Mm. Beautifully said. This was a career highlight to be able to spend time in conversation with Karen Casey. I appreciated so much of what she shared and related to a lot of it. I hope you found it valuable too. I wanna just reiterate that line that Karen left us with. We need to learn how to love and accept and free each other to really be all we need to be because love doesn't thrive when we're held in bondage. Thank you, Karen Casey, for all you've done for many of us in recovery. And I'm hoping through this episode, some of you will seek out the incredible writing and books that Karen has done for this world of people impacted by the disease of addiction. Come back next week when we dive into a conversation about harm reduction and alternative pathways to recovery and meeting people where they're at on their journey with Heather Tidwell. I want to thank my guests for their courage and vulnerability in sharing parts of their story. Please find resources on my website, embracefamilyrecovery.com. This is Margaret Swift-Thompson, Until next time, please take care of you.